there's two words in revenue operations, revenue and operations. And revenue is the most important one. So you had me at revenue. I love it. Welcome back, everybody, to this week's Sales Strategy and Enablement Podcast. I'm Alistair Wilcox, CSRO here at Revenue.io, joined by my famous AI genius co-host, founder, CEO, and a lifelong learner of all things revenue science, Howard Brown. Howard, how are you doing today? I'm fabulous. These intros keep getting more and more uh, fabulous. (laughs) Well, in the spirit of fabulous, Howard, we are thrilled to have with us today, Charlie, Charlie Carlin, the RevOps Charlie, as he's famously known, and also author of How to Sell Tech, a brilliant piece for those that haven't seen it out there. Charlie, joining us live from England, how are you? I am great. Thank you both, uh, Howard and Alistair, for having me on. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So, Charlie, you know, we love to start off with things that are happening in the news and things like that. You've been in this field and seen the advancement of RevOps. You know, where it's going, how much is changing across enterprises around the world at this point. But you know, the world is getting disrupted yet again. And I want to point us to you know, a, a recent article from Gartner that predicted the B2B sales organizations using generative AI embedded in sales tech are going to reduce the amount of time spent prospecting and customer prep by 50% over the next 24 months. So, you know, we think about that. Now, that's a predict. That's that's where things are going. But, you know, Charlie, you're in the thick of RevOps. That's going to be front and center in terms of how that intelligence and automation, those tools are being applied. Do you think they have that right? What's your thoughts? I think absolutely. I'm seeing that AI is eating up so many of these low-level sales activities I'm just coming off the back of Dreamforce this week and uh, Salesforce positioning it as the AI event of the year as they're just automating and automating uh, so many of, let's say, the low-level processes. Back when I started in sales, you had a a phone, uh, you got out on the street, you went and spoke to people, maybe you sent some brochures out afterwards. It was a very, very manual process. And then in these last five or six years, this rise of automating emails, uh, automating video, automating all the outbound messaging, it doesn't take an expert to realize that if you can automate a lot of that stuff, you don't actually need a human body behind a lot of it after a very short period of, of time. So that doesn't get rid of salespeople. It doesn't get rid of the need for us, but it means that we, both SDRs and sellers, can focus more of their effort on the human element of selling, of really understanding what's going on in a customer's world, of really helping them to connect the dots between their own business and what other people in their own industry or other industries are doing, and really being human whilst the AI takes up a lot of the automated aspect of the job. I think you're bang on, Charlie. And you know, as I think about this, it's pretty daunting for people. And the common thing that I hear from a lot of leaders are they're actually almost scared of what this is going to do. Should they be scared about how impactful this is going to be? Like just, just that number, if we all agree that 50% of time spent on front-end prospecting is about to be disrupted. That That's a big chunk of a lot of organizations' flow and how that's going to work. Is this excitement or fear? Like, what, what, are you, what are you hearing, Howard? Look, I'm an optimist, so I think change always creates fear. 
But I think great change management hopefully alleviates fear and shows people the opportunities that exist. My take is the more we can help humanize people, the better we help people connect with others, the more job satisfaction uh, that will occur. I think the, the, the benefit of AI goes beyond just automation to really providing the opportunity for our human sense, our human connection, our empathy, our connection with other people, our desire to help to really emerge. And so if I think about everything that AI is doing today and dreaming of where it will take us in the next few years, I feel incredibly optimistic because it's not AI that will replace us or, or our work. It is the folks that don't use AI as a tool, as a weapon. Those folks should fear because the people who are using AI for strategic benefit, they will outperform. They will better connect. As a buyer, what I really need is I need a trusted advisor. I need somebody to understand me and the challenges I face within my business. AI will arm reps, will arm our sales organizations to better connect, to solve those problems because they're not doing the mundane. They're not doing a bunch of note-taking. They're not doing a bunch of data entry. They're doing the things that matter, which is connecting. And they're being provided the information at their fingertips to help them help their customers and prospects. So I'm very bullish. And I think, look, Fear will always exist. We know that. But let's put the fear aside and let's let's look at all the amazing opportunities that exist for all of us. I want to just click a little further on the fear factor here, if you guys don't mind, because I think people should be downright scared. And and like I just want to give a perspective here to everybody. Okay. So so Charlie and Howard, you think of let, let's just use Chat GPT as the example, because it's the one most people know the most is a large language model that's existing on. I am not advocating saying that's the tool that is going to drive all of what we're talking in sales. But but just as this intelligence is growing, you have to appreciate that within under two quarters, it has got its IQ to an estimated equivalent now of 155. Now, I don't think any of us are not intelligent, but, but just for perspective, Albert Einstein was a 160. So it's five points off Albert Einstein at this point, and it's done that in under two quarters, if we assume it's going to keep its same compounding rate of intelligence growth, that means against Gartner's predict of you know a little over 24 months, that you will be looking at systems that are in the range of two to 3,000 times the intelligence of a singular human. Like we're coming up on the smartest people in the world, two to 3,000 times that of Albert Einstein. Just think about that. And that's, that's just using the standard approach. The technology increases 10x on each cycle and is going to go there. That's simple compounding of intelligence, two to 3,000 times smarter in the same time period where Gardner is saying 50% of prospecting is going to be disrupted by generative technology. It's mind-boggling. It is mind-boggling. And you... When's the last time you've talked to someone with 160 IQ? And that's part of the challenge, right? And when you do meet someone with an extremely high IQ, it's actually hard to communicate, right? It's hard to bring them down to your level and your challenge because they're up here. And I'm not saying that, look, 
I love that there is this intelligent engine that is going to benefit us and hopefully humanity. But I also know that I need to connect with a human being that understands me, that doesn't talk above me, that understands the contextual issues that I'm dealing with and the kind of situations that are unique to me. It's great. I would love to have the most intelligent people around me. But if I'm not connecting with them, if I don't feel like they're at my level, then they're talking above me. So yeah, great. I'll have an IQ of something with an IQ of 2000. That thing needs to help me connect with other human beings because guess what? I don't need to talk to the world's smartest thing. I need to talk to someone who I can connect with and solve problems with. It's hard enough to talk to you and you got what, an 84 IQ? On a good day. On a good day. <laughs> all right, let's get back to Charlie. Alistair and I can banter back and forth all day long. So Charlie, as you think about that, like, we're clearly aligning this huge impact there. Yeah. And you think of RevOps specifically where you've helped so many companies on this journey and you're seeing the impact now of what generative AI and AI is bringing. You know, there's a saying that you have that I'm, I'm going to quote here, which is great. The best time to invest in RevOps was when you started the company. The second best time is today. Now, now take that statement, just explain what you mean to all of us for that. And is this a time to actually, even those that even are already doing RevOps, to rethink it overall, like rethink what they're doing? What, what are you seeing? What are you telling people? Yeah, I mean, it, just in terms of that, that, that statement, you know, when a founder sets up a, a business, they may come from an engineering background. They may have been focusing with their leadership team absolutely on finding product market fit and getting to that initial seed round and, and crawling their way up to, to a series A. And it's all about product and it's all about those initial customers that are uh, probably coming in through your network, uh, through your YC batch or whoever it might be. It's anyone that will, will speak to you and will, will pay you some, some money for the product. And as you then get through that series A and start building out your team, it is really easy to, to keep that uh, entrepreneurial, experimental focus. And you're just hiring people, building, building out the playbooks and revenue operations. And this idea of building a data-led and structured and metrics-based system around it can always seem like the thing that we can do next month and next quarter because we've got to get these deals coming through. And then before you know it, this month turns into next month, turns into next quarter, turns into next year. And suddenly you're trying to raise a series B and we haven't got this. And now our data's in 10 different places. Our systems aren't integrated. We haven't got the playbooks. We haven't got the right org structure. And now trying to rewind that and, and rebuild a revenue operations system that you should have built a year ago, two years ago, uh, you know, is much harder. So it's, I think it's an old Japanese uh, saying, the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago. The second best time to plant a tree is, is today. And it's exactly will, the same for, for, for RevOps. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And I think, you know, so as you're thinking of these companies and their expanding rapidly or they're maybe having to redo this if they're if they're a large organization. Automation is a word we kind of throw around a lot. But you know, the automation speed of what AI is now doing is fundamentally shifting that, right? So when we think of the tenants of RevOps, marketing, sales, customer success, and then the ops organization itself, right? It's not just a sales function. You know, these areas are being disrupted right now, to Howard's point. The need to have 
better engagement, better conversations means you cannot be doing the mundane. You cannot right. be worried about data entry. You cannot be worried about you know, what, what am I going to do? You got to take the guesswork out of the actions and focus on improving the conversation. That starts with automation. Are you, are you seeing that progression on the automation and hype? And really what we're now moving to is hyper automation of many things. I think for, for many uh, business people, I, I'm not a technical AI expert. I, I can't claim to be, but for anyone that's in business, it's important to uh, quickly get your head around what AI is and how you could explain that to your mother, to your father in non-technical terms. And so from, from my understanding, uh, the, the easy way of explaining it is that artificial intelligence is good at, on the one hand, perceiving large amounts of data in lots of disparate systems, synthesizing all of that into one single uh, model, and then inferring some kind of result or output from that. And machine learning is taking that output and putting that back in at the start into the, the perceived, so this model continues to learn. So in my non-technical world, that is these are the, the, the three things. And it reminds me a bit of when I started my career and it was about cloud. Suddenly everything was cloud. Everything was cloud washed. I remember seeing some hard drive marketed as cloud in your pocket. I'm like, that's the opposite of cloud. And so you're seeing that with AI and everything's got AI, AI this, AI that. But it all for me comes back to perceiving large amounts of disparate data that a human being would find it difficult to get their head around. Uh, synthesizing that into something and then inferring uh, some kind of output that as a human would find it difficult. I've just finished reading a book called Range, which I'm not sure if you've come across that. It's uh, about how generalists can succeed in this world. And there's a, there's a couple of things in that which certainly jumped out to me in terms of AI. So one is that systems like uh, chess computers, you know, they started in the 80s to beat the humans, but they're very good in what's called a kind environment. A game of chess, whilst very, very complicated, has got a set of discrete rules. And as long as the computer is big enough, you can teach it and it can play that. But the world is not kind. You go in and speak to one customer and actually the thing that could help a customer in CPG could be something that you heard from a customer in energy. And it's the human ability to see in someone's eyes, to infer em emotion, and to understand when's the right time to do this kind of thing, which is where I think being a human in a revenue role is always going to be important. And the second thing that jumped out of this book to me was this story about teachers and parents that help their children when they are doing their homework or their prep. And as a, you know, a kind parent that wants to help their child or you just want to get supper on and get things done, you sort of think that you're doing the child a favor. But the evidence showed that every time that you made it easier for that child, their ability to retain knowledge later on in life around that topic or topics near it was degraded. So bringing this back to sales, every time I see an SDR typing in to chat GPT, what are the top 10 priorities for a CFO in retail? They're not doing the work. They're getting someone else to tell them the answer. And I, I have to believe that over the next five or 10 years, as these people go through their careers, they're going to find it more challenging. And I, I think that's going to be something that potentially hamper them later on. I love, Charlie, how you use the example of tree learning and chess. I think that coming back to RevOps, 
there are pieces of RevOps that are critical, right? The idea that data lives in disparate systems, figuring out what it is you want to automate, the governance involved in your organization. When you think about AI, today servicing a much more complicated problem than beating a, a human being at chess, right? What is required is not just a simple tree model. What's required is a lot of information that is very contextual to the multitude of problems that a business needs to solve, right? So you have all kinds of variables where RevOps is critical for any organization that is truly investing in AI is the requirement that your data needs to be well organized. It needs to be in a place that it's not pulling from a variety of different systems and simply allowing the AI to hallucinate based on information that exists all over the place. There needs to be a structure and a discipline on the data that you bring into the organization and you continually feed the machine. If that is not there, then you're using AI and the AI will not give you reliable and trustworthy answers to the questions you have. That will create a distrust for the AI, which ultimately, if you don't trust the AI and the suggestions and the next best actions that it is giving you, then it will become a failure. So right now the world is excited about AI, but we're also seeing things, Alistair, you talk about it getting smarter, but the more we train the foundational models on lots of people's feedback and information, they're actually losing some of that intelligence and not able to solve even more basic math questions. So if an organization is creating AI to serve its interests, it needs to think about the data. It needs to think about the problems and systems it has in place to better serve its customers as well as its employees. So you both hit on something there, and I'm going to bring us off from the data to the rep. Because, Howard, I think you're suggesting is your specialized data and the way which we we use that and train the models is really important. You know, uh, Charlie, you're saying, yes, we you need good data hygiene. we got to put that all together. Absolutely. And is that because the future of a sales rep needs to be more specialized or more generalized? It's a good question. I'll tell you how, to, how, how I'd answer that. I think to, to the data point, I love talking to clients about like our data, our data. What is our data? Data is across first, second, and third party data sources now. There is no such thing really as our data, like the first party, what our sellers are doing in our CRM system and what our customers maybe are doing in our product. Second party is anything that's coming in from our partners, maybe either our technology partners or our consulting partners. And then increasingly now with things like Snowflake, Marketplace, data that's coming in, economic data, environmental data, economic data. And it's being able to pull all of this into one central repository, which is going to allow AI to provide you much more insight than you would have had uh, just building out a report of your internal data. Uh, one of the reasons why I think that external data is, is so important is to your point about being a generalist or a specialist, as a rep, having as much knowledge about your customer's business and their industry and the trends that are going on there is as much as important or more important than what you know about your own product and your own uh, sales process. It's one of the reasons why I got into sales and why I love sales is 
getting to learn about another person's business and how that works and almost, you know, tinkering around with it. And I think as over the last sort of five or six years where we've been a lot more internally focused and become email machines, uh, people have lost a bit of that curiosity. Lots of salespeople like to say curious at the start of a question because they think they've been told to say curious, but they're not actually curious. And I think the more that people do learn about what's going on in their customers' industries and their, their companies, it'll help them to be more successful in their work. Howard, your thoughts there as well? Specialist or generalist? Well, I always think that having a specialty allows you to provide more value. I think there is plenty of room for generalists. I think that for me, what adds the most value to any interaction is helping me solve specific problems. And I can't find one book that I can read that will completely change everything I do. I can't speak to one individual that understands every single part of my business, just like my family, right? Like I, it's complicated and there is help with parenting. There is help with education. There is tutoring. There is child relationships that, that like life is complicated. And, and there are reasons why we look towards specialists in the same way. I think taking information and specializing it by role, by problem, by value is critically important, right? If I, if I just try to solve everything, I'm probably solving nothing. And so how do we figure out how to really identify the problem that an organization has, that an individual has, truly understand that and use our experience, benchmarks, data, and other customers with similar situations to solve that problem because there is not a solve for everything. What there is, is unique situations and the better I understand them, the better I'm able to solve for it. And you see that, Charlie, you were a consultant, right? The ability of a consultant to truly understand the situation and all aspects of it requires you bring in a team of specialists to really solve that problem. It's not a single person. And so I always believe that specializing and truly understanding the problem and the solution goes the furthest. And, and, and increasingly, as we're selling into the business and a CFO, that problem they've got, it's not a technical one. It's a financial one. It's a cash flow one. It's a budgeting one. It's a business problem. And for sellers, if they're going to be a specialist, be a specialist in the business that your customer is, is running as opposed to your, your product. There was some research I saw recently by Corporate Visions, or CVI, uh, the sales training organization. And they talk about how execs, um, they want to have a conversation about their, their business and their balance sheet and their P&L, uh, um, but they rate salespeople as virtually non-existent in being able to have that type of conversation. They can go barely a few minutes before having to revert back to talking about the product because they just can't talk about the commercial aspects of it. So, you know, if I was coaching salespeople on where you're going to spend time being a specialist, it would be on on that topic. Mm, it's great advice. And I love the the very key insight, Charlie, you mentioned. And, and throughout my career, I think some of the best salespeople and RevOps people have the hallmark of curiosity. And so to thread this all together, 
you know, what you're saying there, be curious about your customer, not your product. As a RevOps leader, rethinking building RevOps today, be curious about your customer, which is sales, marketing, customer success. Use the AI tools and the generative tools to give you the intelligence to understand. So the scenario you're talking about where maybe people don't know all of the complexities, the financials of the company they're talking to, you can use these tools to help you understand. From there, you can be curious enough to then inquisitively ask and formulate opinions and drive things ahead. In, in RevOps, if you're wondering where you could automate something, why not query and ask, ask these tools for help? Have them analyze the loads and the data and see what the schemas are that we could change. Have them look at the inbound and outbound data in marketing and make recommendations, but be curious enough to use the tools to analyze that. Have it analyze the churn data, have it analyze the support ticket flow. And instead of doing that manually in an analyst, use the tools to help you do that. That's the scale, that's the curious nature of RevOps and how this is gonna disrupt that. And that's where we're gonna get those 50% gains that Gartner speaks of. Be relentlessly curious because these tools, so far as I'm aware so far, aren't asking many questions of us, but they are very powerful to help us ask questions. Absolutely. Charlie, our fantastic conversation there. Charlie, We uh, I could go on all day with you with this, but unfortunately, you know, we are getting told time is our enemy here. So as we think about this and where we're going going forwards, look, we always love to finish off with a little bit of trivia and we'd love to have you back on a future episode and really dive into, you know, this notion of, you know, now we have applied AI, now we're applying a lot of the automation. We got our data organized. What's the flywheel look like? Like, How do we actually stitch this all together? Because, you, you know, it, you, you have tremendous background in what I'll call the flywheel approach of RevOps. So love to have you back on that. But before we do, we got to take you through our little trivia piece here and then ask you what your favorite moment is before we uh, we wrap up here today. So you feeling good for a couple of uh, pop questions here? Yeah, let's go. All right, we'll go. We had a pretty heavy conversation, so we'll go more to the fun side here now. <laughs> if RevOps threw a party, Charlie, what would be its theme? A, back to the future of sales. B, streamline and shine. C, the Great Gatsby Growth Gala, or D, Revenue Rumble in the Jungle? Uh, I like re- Revenue Rumble in the Jungle. For me, there's two words in revenue operations, revenue and operations, and revenue is the most important one. So you had me at revenue. I love it. There's no wrong answer is the secret one. <laughs> now. So we'll go with Revenue Rumble in the Jungle. Charlie Callen, head of RevOps Charlie. We love it. You're doing fantastic work around the world. Charlie, how does everybody get in contact with you as well? Uh, the easiest way is uh, revopscharlie.com. And then you'll find a lot of my content, a maturity assessment there, and uh, uh, lots of videos. And you can get in contact with me there. Brilliant. Well, please, I encourage everybody to check it out. I've known of RevOps Charlie for many, many years through the Gartner days, through to here, as had Howard. Awesome content, awesome thought, leadership, and advice there. Uh, revopscharlie.com. Thanks so much, Charlie Callan. Great to have you on with us. We'll see you hopefully on a future episode. For everybody else listening in, please remember to like and subscribe. Do call in your questions and emails. Howard and I love seeing them. We love the feedback and we will attempt to get to some of those on future episodes. 
Thanks, Charlie. We'll see you next time. Appreciate it. By the way, Alistair, I, I probably should make a correction. I think I, I said your IQ was 84. It's actually 86. So I want to stick with the facts here. <laughs> uh...